And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take as my text this morning that reading from the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 64, beginning at verse 1. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 740. Isaiah's chapter 64 and beginning at verse 1, which I'd like us to read again. Isaiah 64 and beginning at verse 1. It's a prayer, actually. And the prophet says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, Lord, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. And from of old, no one has heard or, or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God like you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned, and in our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We've all become like one who's unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind sweep us away. There's no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Be not so terribly angry, O oh Lord. And remember not our iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. This morning I want to talk about God's coming. A thing to be desired or a thing to be feared. God's coming. A thing to be desired or a thing to be feared. Indeed, even in the church, for some, the idea of God's coming is a positive thing, a thing to be desired. God's coming, wonderful. It's about time. <laughs> and in the season of Advent, God's coming is a major theme. In fact, the word Advent from the Latin Adventus means coming. And so when we have four weeks before Christmas, the season of Advent, that is the subject, God coming, coming and is coming again, coming the first time. And so for some, the idea of God's coming is a positive thing, a thing to be desired, but others aren't so sure, you know. And because that, that, that they may not be so sure, you know, at his coming, what that might mean for them. 
He comes what? He comes again to judge the living and the dead? Indeed, in the Gospels, Jesus tells us over and over, be ready, be ready, be ready for him when he comes. And this is especially important because we do not know the day and we do not know the hour. He can come at any time. And that's just it, right? And that's the question. Am I ready? And will I be when he comes? And so for some, God's coming may be more a thing to be feared than a thing to be desired. But for many, God's coming is a thing to be desired. And this is expressed in the words of the prophet Isaiah. He says in verse 1, he's talking to God, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, like pull back the curtains of the sky. And come down to us, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Which is a sentiment that is reminiscent of all that happened to Moses and the children of Israel after they were delivered from slavery in Egypt. And after three months, they made it to the Sinai Peninsula. And there they were, at the base of the mountain of gods, Mount Sinai. And that's what Isaiah is saying. Do that again! <laughs> in fact, we read in Exodus 19, beginning at verse 16, And on the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like smoke from a kiln, from an oven. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And so Isaiah says to God, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood, or as Peterson puts it in the message, as, 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 as when a, a forest catches fire. And when fire, Isaiah says, when fire causes water to boil, it's intense. Even dangerous. And then Isaiah gives us his purpose statement. Verse 2. To make your name known to your adversaries. In fact, that's maybe one of the... If you can't wait for him to come, that might be one of the things you can't wait for. For things to be straightened out. And for God's enemies to be stopped. To make your name known to your adversaries, or as in the New English translation, to let your adversaries know, your enemies, who you really are. Verse 2, that the nations might tremble at your presence. And so as I say, this might be one of the reasons why it might seem a desirable thing that God should come. To reveal himself as he truly is, and as you Perhaps know him, although you've never seen him. 
And everyone will see him as he truly is because God will make himself known and then make all things right. In fact, this is something that we pray for on a regular basis. If you don't pray it on the weekdays, at least you pray it whenever you turn up to church. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, how much, how much evil and deception and injustice has to take place for you <laughs> in this world in which we live to not long for everything that we see around us to be changed. It's like Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And if you have the heart of God, you can't look and see what's going on. And not be touched by it and want it to be different. Not just in some nostalgic way that it might be like it was once before. Because even then it was bad. Because man was in charge. The prophet continues in verse 3. And when you did awesome things that we weren't looking for, that is to say, things we weren't expecting. <laughs> As it says in the New English translation, things that took us by surprise. And by the way, when God comes, everybody will be surprised. You came down, Isaiah said, and the mountains quaked at your presence. And the prophet continues, verse 4, And from of old, that is, uh, we might say, since the, from the time the world became, became or began, from, from, the, from the beginning of, or before the beginning of recorded history, Verse 4, no one has heard or perceived with their ears. No eye has seen a God like you. And this is a major theme, by the way, in the prophet Isaiah. If you've ever read it, it might be a piece of work. It's 64 chapters. But this theme comes up over and over again, that God is unique. There is no one like this God. Jesus is Abba. And so Isaiah 43 and verse 11. I am the Lord and beside me there's no Savior, no Deliverer. Verse 44 and verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer. That is Israel's Redeemer. The Lord of hosts. I am the first and the last. By the way, that's an interesting phrase. That expression is used by Jesus Himself in the book of Revelation. The Father is the first and the last. The Son is the first and the last. The Spirit is the first and the last. They're all divine. They're all God. Because God is a community of persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am the first and the last beside me. There is no God. Isaiah 45 and verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens and formed the earth and made it. I am the Lord and there is no other. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old. Think back to the past. The prophet says, or God says through the prophet, 
For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times the things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purposes. And so Isaiah says in verse 4. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for or who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. I'd rather wait for God than take what the world offers. Wait on him. It's worth the waits. You've heard this before? <laughs> Good things come to those who wait. And that's especially true here. He acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Verse 5. You meet with those who, jo who with him, or people, who joyfully work righteousness. Or as Peterson puts it in the message, you meet with those who happily do what is right. That's a great expression. Do you do what's right happily? Or do you do it begrudgingly? <laughs> this will tell you a lot about your spiritual state. If you really like doing evil better than doing good, and yet you do good because you know you have to, that will tell you something about where your heart is and what's influencing it. You meet with those who happily do what is right. You meet with those, verse 5, who remember you in your ways, or a better way to put that, those who remember God by walking in His ways. I'm remembering Him and thinking about Him by doing what He calls me to do. By living according to divine truth, which to some will sound like a great big huge downer, but Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And those who practice it for the right reasons never complain. They're enjoying themselves too much. And these are those with whom God meets. And for those who are walking in this way, God's coming sounds a very happy occasion. And so for many, God's coming is a thing to be desired. Still, for others... God's coming is a thing to be feared. Indeed, notice again what Isaiah says in the second half of verse 5. But behold, you were angry. Now, see, that's it, right? I mean, oh, God is coming. Well, I think he might not be too pleased. I'm not sure. I want to meet this God who is coming. Who wants to meet an angry God. But behold, you were angry, and we sinned, and in our sins we have been a long time. We've been practicing sin a long time. Notice this very interesting that this is the, this is the prophet's vocation. Pro the prophet speaks on behalf of God. He speaks on himself as the spokesman for God. He speaks on behalf of the people. And so he's speaking for himself and saying, God, come, that'll be great. And then when he includes himself amongst the people of God and all this sin and degradation and iniquities going on, then he takes on a different voice. And he speaks with them and for them. 
to God. You remember he said in chapter 6, I am a man of unclean lips and I, I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Even Jesus himself, you remember the whole thing about Jesus and going to be baptized and John balked, John the Baptist balked. He said, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus in complete solidarity with the people he came to save said, no, the right thing for me to do is to be baptized just like they need to be baptized. He didn't need to be baptized. He was baptized like them. Behold, you were angry. We sinned and our sins have been, we've been doing a long time. And then there's this expression like, is there any hope? Shall we be saved? Can we be saved? Verse 6, all of us have become like one who's unclean. And this is a reference to ceremonial uncleanness. If you were sick or if you were a leper or if there was something else and you, whatever it was, if you touched a dead body, there were all kinds of ceremonial laws. And if you had, if you had been engaged in any of this or if you had any of the many conditions that are mentioned, you couldn't go into the temple and worship God. Because you were considered to be ceremonially unclean. And that's what he's saying. We all are like one who's unclean. Unfit to come into your presence. And then notice verse 6. And all of our righteous deeds. That is a reference to the sorts of things that you would. Acts of religious piety. All of our fasting and our tithing and our serving and our worshiping and all these things that we're called to do and we do them, but our heart's not in it. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. In many of the versions, the translation is filthy rags which is a reference to rags used during a woman's menstrual period. That's what God thinks, and that's the metaphor. When we go through the motions and do the things, but our heart is not in it, we're not doing it because we love God. We do it for some other reason, of which it could be multitude. And God says, that's what it's like when you do that. And Isaiah continues, we, are all, we all fade like a leaf that is about a leaf that has lost its color and is dead because it's fallen from the tree, fallen from and has been separated from its life source. Which, by the way, I was thinking as I was thinking on that, it sounds rather similar to Jesus' famous words in John 15 and his famous parable of the of the, of the vine and the branches. And Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever stays connected, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown like a, a branch that withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. 
we lived in, I lived in Wisconsin, Linda was born in Wisconsin, I lived in, we were, after we were married, lived there for 15 years. You talk about leaves. We had, to, at the vicarage in, in, in Mosinee, we had great, huge oak trees. And, uh, what, a, maples. The, 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 the leaves were, were feet high on the grass. We didn't save one of them. <laughs> Get them out of here. Because we have to make room for the snow. <laughs> you don't, you don't. You, all that stuff you cut, all that pruning, you don't save any of that stuff. You burn it. It's useless. It's garbage. We all fade like a leaf, Isaiah says. And our iniquities are like the wind and they blow us away. I mean, to me, that's like a great example of the, the tyranny of sin. It takes complete control, and you are completely a victim of it. Like the wind. When the wind blows a leaf, the leaf has no say. It is a complete victim of the wind. As Jesus talked about the tyranny of sin, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to it. <laughs> and Isaiah continues, verse 7, and there is no one who calls upon your name, Lord. No one in the whole nation of people called by your name. In all of Israel, in all of Judah, no one calls on your name. No one rouses himself to take a hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. In fact, Isaiah talks about that in chapter 59. He says, God says through, or Isaiah says about God and the people, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. And so Isaiah says, there's no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, because nobody desires God. Think about that. That's so interesting. And, and Lewis talked a lot about this. About is God your end or is God your means to another end? And if God is just a means to some other end separate from him. You're not seeking God. But you're seeking something else. And using God to get it. No one calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you've hidden your face from us. And we have, you have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Or as Peterson in the message puts it, you've left us to stew in our sin. But then there's a great shift in verse 8. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. <laughs> and Isaiah appeals to God's mercy and the promises that God has made to his people however unworthy they may be to have received such promises notice verse 8 but now O Lord you are our father we are the clay you're the potter we are all the work of your hands. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord. 
and remember not iniquity forever. Please, look at us. <laughs> For we are all your people. It's an interesting claim. And I would think that if you have been baptized in the church of Jesus Christ, you can make the same claim. You may have the problem that we just described, but the promises of God have been made for, for you in many, in many instances since your childhood. If you were baptized as a child, promises were made on your behalf and promised the promises of God were issued to you. And if you have fallen away, those promises remain. Come unto me. Come unto me. Come unto me. Indeed, God is merciful. To quote from another prophet, Ezekiel, chapter 33 and verse 11, God says to the prophet, Say to them, Say to my people, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I take pleasure in the wicked turning from their way and living. And so turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? <laughs> or the writers of the Hebrews from the New Testament. But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, that is, that he belie to believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The rewarder of those who diligently, diligently seek him. God doesn't want any of us to fear his coming. And the simplest way to overcome any such fear, if you might be experiencing it yourself, is to be ready. In fact, that's what Jesus said in our gospel reading this morning. What I say to you, I say to all. Be ready. Amen? God's coming, a thing to be desired. <laughs> A thing to be feared. We don't want to fear you in any way, Lord. Why, why, why? You are our Father. It's in you that we live and move and have our being. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no casting shadow. You are all light and all justice and all goodness and all grace and mercy and all love without impediment or blemish of any kind. You are all, literally, all we need. And in your presence, presence is fullness of joy. To fear you indicates a lot. Even as of Adam and Eve, and then they took the fruit, and then when you came looking for them, and, and they weren't where they usually are, and so you called out, Adam! 
But they hid because they were afraid at your coming. Don't let that be true of us, Lord. When you call us by name, give us the grace to answer and to walk in your ways and do what you call us to do that we might be truly free, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.